Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And we have a returning guest today who first appeared back in October 2020, which was episode 98. So Jody Kazenko, who's the president and CEO of Torex Gold Resources, um, are a Canadian-based gold producer uh, engaged in the exploration, development and operation of its Morelos Gold property in the highly prospective um, Guerrero Gold Belt in Mexico. Hope, hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. Um, Jody is a senior mining executive with over 20 years of operational and business experience um, with a background in law. Um, and, she, and she has been with Torex Gold since 2018, uh, moving from the CEO, uh, sorry, COO to CEO within 18 months. Um, and he's going to give us an update of uh, what has been happening since we last spoke. So that's welcome, Jody, to the podcast. How are you doing, Jody? I'm doing quite well, Rob. Thanks for having me this morning. It feels like so much has happened since October of 2020. It's good to be back with you. And no, you did not pronounce that correctly. It's the Guerrero Gold Belt, for those of you who are anglicized and for those of you who speak Spanish, they've taught me to roll my R's. It's the Guerrero Gold Belt. And so Guerrero. that's where we're located. Yes. Guerrero. Right. Yeah. Thank you for um, <laughs> thank you for making me uh, pronounce that correctly. So, yeah, I do apologize. Um, yeah. So it was it was um, October 2020 when we last spoke. And I think just then is when you stepped into the CEO, just not not be, not long before then. Um, so I guess a lot has uh, a lot has been happening uh, since then. So I wanted to give us a, a snapshot of uh, of yourself. Um, obviously, if you refer back to the episode of 2020 for those that are listening, uh, which was episode 98, um, obviously Jodie can give us a uh, would have gave us a more of a background about herself then but I just wanted to give us a quick snapshot now for those that didn't listen to that previous episode. Yeah um, I spent 15 years of my career in base metals up here in northern Canada uh, and in late 2018 made the transition to gold and to Mexico as chief operating officer joining Torex Gold. Um, at the time uh, the company was a pretty young company we just went into commercial production in 2016 uh, so a lot of work to be done from the operational level and getting that right team in place at the manager level um, and really optimizing the operations we call ELG, Elimon Wajes. For those of your listeners who don't know um, a bit about Torex, in that short period of time, we've grown to be the second largest gold producer in all of Mexico. And so last year, we produced 468,000 ounces, the very top end of guidance. The team absolutely crushed it. Uh, despite challenges with COVID, a pretty sizable operation, about 1,000 employees, 1,800 contractors, and that contractor number is growing as we're landing our future project. We have a combination of open pit mining and underground mining and a fully integrated processing plant with a mill, a communication circuit, um, from which we produce Dory bars. And uh, so in addition to that existing operation where uh, we're working hard to deliver on our commitments to our shareholders and do it safely, we are building out our future project called Medialuna. It was just board approved 
at the end of March of this year. Uh, and there's significant opportunity on the land package there. 75% of the land package remains unexplored. The Guerrero Gold Belt is highly, highly prospective. And so the combination of ELG, ELG on the north side of the river, the Medialuna project on the south side of the river, together with the prospectivity of the land package, we believe we'll be mining in Guerrero for decades to come. And myself personally, I had the privilege of stepping into the CEO role in June of 2020. Um, stepping into the CEO role during uh, the world's first pandemic with all of the supply chain challenges and the challenges in Mexico um, has been a real, real developmental experience, as some would say. I've learned a lot. And um, what I think I'm most pleased and proud about, Rob, is that not only did we survive, the company culture of Torex had us thriving during that period. So we really leaned into each other and found new ways to do that. And in the midst of all of that, one of the things I'm most excited about is that we did it safely. Um, I can talk a little bit more about safety and how we got there, but uh, I would say that Torex is the industrial benchmark um, for how to run a safe operation. And doing that in the midst of COVID, in the midst of organization transition and landing a project, is nothing short of remarkable. So that's a bit of an overview of the company and me and where we've been in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned that you stepped from the COO to the CEO role um, just under two, well, 18 months ago. How was that transition? And obviously, we obviously it's been a difficult period over the last two years. Personally, yourself, how did you find those challenges from when you were the COO to the CEO? Um, what what were the major differences for yourself stepping into uh, the hot seat? Yeah, I mean, it's different work, right? And so for me, the chief operating officer role is all about safety production and cost, right? How do you get the right team to maximize and optimize the business? What's the right mind plan? How do you maximize margins? How do you build robust systems of control so that you can have consistent delivery? For me, Rob, those problems are super fun problems to solve. They're really messy because they're so interconnected. I mean, mining is a complex industry. The most complicated thing about it is that it takes a lot of people to do it. So you really have to focus on culture, on team, and how the processes integrate. And one of the things that I really like about being in the operations is the connectivity to the people, the employees, you get to spend a lot of time with them, and the communities. And the problems that you're solving have cause and effect, right? And so if you're having a problem with metallurgy, you get the right team in the room, you back up, you look at all of the contributing causes, and then you start to solve them. And your problem with metallurgy over time gets solved. We solved some of those problems in through 2019. Really fun work for me. When you step into the CEO role, it's kind of like working in the fog. Um, the problems, the cause and effect, aren't so clear. You're now working with the investment community. You're looking up and out and building the future of an organization that is five, 10, 20 years out amidst a very volatile market, amidst very volatile supply chain. And the work completely shifts to being something about how do I wanna shape the organization for the future moving forward? And I feel like as CEO over the last couple of years, We've added great shape to the organization in Morelos. And the question now becomes, 
How do we shape the organization outside of Morello's? And the other important part of CEO work is board work, right? Over the last couple of years, we've done a refresh on our board. Most of our board members at Torex were founding board members. It was time to, given that it was time to grow the company, take a look at the board matrix, take a look at the skills matrix, really get crisp on the strategy and find a suite of directors that we're going to complement, guide, and govern, and provide advice to the organization during what I would say is a different period of time. First 10 years was all about explore, build, and get it up and running. The team who did that did it great. Now it's time to cut our second album, right? And so build out Media Luna, figure out how to mine in Morelos for decades to come, and then grow the company beyond being a single asset producer and get out of um, obviously, I want to congratulate you on your recent approval of uh, Medalunum project. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the project and what it means for Torex? Yeah, we're really excited about the Medaluna project. We took our maiden reserve on it when we put out the technical report. So 3.3 million ounces at just over four and a half gram a ton gold equivalent. Um, and in that, in taking that reserve, it effectively tripled the mine life of our operating asset in Morelos, went from three and a half years to almost 12 years. So now we're mining out to 2033. And importantly, Rob, only about a third of the, mag the magnetic anomaly around Medialuna has been drilled off. So a third at 3.3 million ounces, we're still drilling there, investing money and upgrading and adding new inferred. And so we believe we're going to be mining there with Medialuna on the south side of the river for decades to come. What I will say about Medialuna, it's a big mine, 7,500 ton a day. We knew, we knew um, that the Medialuna project would always be challenging from a CapEx perspective. It's seven kilometers away as the crow flies across a major river to access the deposit. The metallurgy is a little bit different than what we've seen in the pits on the ELG side. So we had to reconfigure the process plant. One of the things that we're most excited about beyond really extending mine life and making sure that we have a flagship asset in Morelos for years to come is Torex now steps into the copper game. So we've always had a little bit of copper in the deposit on the north side of the river. We have a SART plant from which we produce copper precipitate. As we bring on Medialuna, 30% of the value of that deposit sits in copper. And that's at $1,600 gold and 350 copper. And so at about 45 million pounds of copper a year, we're going to be producing copper con, putting that to market. We become a significant copper producer. And so by diversifying our product mix, I think that's good for us. It's good for our investors. And it also opens up some pretty interesting opportunities as we're thinking about M&A and the future. Maybe we're not just a gold producer. Maybe we expand the horizon to gold and copper or copper. So Good. very excited about bringing the Medialuna project on since it got approved by the board. The focus of the team shifts to execution, right? We were already in execution as we were driving the tunnel. Now the project team is getting controls in order, landing all of the last vacancies associated with the project. And we are absolutely committed to delivering this project on time and on budget, um, no different than we have consistently delivered on our commitment to market over the last three years. We've pinned guidance over three years, and we expect to pin what we've said we're going to do on this project as well. Um, there's been some commentary in the market about the estimated capex for Medaluna. 
um, which for some was higher than expected. Um, how are you addressing this? Yeah, I, the price tag to build Media Luna on a go-forward spend came in at $848 million. $100 million of that is contingency. About 500 of that is, sits in the direct spend for the build of the project. Now, in addition to that, Rob, we have a relatively conservative, I would say realistic ramp-up curve. It's going to take us about three years from first or to get up to 7,500 tons a day. As I said, it's a big mine. In addition to that, we have $545 million booked in sustaining CapEx over the life of the project. And so, which we think is realistic. It costs money to maintain a 7,500 ton a day mine into the future. You got to do development. You got to refurbish equipment. We had to reconfigure our process plant and there will be money required for that over the life of the mine. Here's the conversation I want to start is that there is so much pressure in the industry to turn back an expected IRR, an expected NPV, that people who sit in my shoes get these numbers back in from their project team. They look pretty realistic. In our case, inflation was built in. 87% of our CapEx in the direct spend is tied up in budgetary quotes. I wanted inflation built in because I wanted something that we could stand behind. But there's so much pressure to deliver preconceived IRRs and preconceived NPVs that many companies don't take a scalpel to these numbers. They take an absolute machete to them and they shoehorn the economics and the ramp up curve and solve for the IRR that they think would be palatable to market. And then they come out 18 months hence or two years hence and say, no, you know what? That's not really the number. It's going to be more. We're going to need more CapEx and we're going to need more time. And then the investment community is disappointed by massive CapEx blowouts, massively over schedule. And I would argue, Rob, that the mining industry has created the perfect ecosystem to continue to deliver these results on big projects that the industry is seeing. CapEx blowouts, over time, over schedule. And so I think Torregs, I mean, I was determined to lead the way here a little bit. Take a hit. Our IRR at $1,600 gold and $350 copper on this project is 16%. That's real. That's real. The CapEx number is real. The sustaining CapEx number is real. So I, 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 I want us as an industry to start to restore investor confidence in our ability to build these big projects on time and on budget. But then investors are going to have to accept that realistic IRRs are not 30%, are not 40% in the mining industry. If they were, generalist investors would be coming to the space in droves, and they're not, because the realistic IRRs are less than that, especially when, in our case, for example, we know there's life beyond 2033. Right? And so we're making the intensive capital investment now, not only to mine between now and 2033, but to mine beyond that. And so the economics will change for the better over time as we get more ore into reserves. But we believe we came out with a realistic estimate. And um, I think change needs to be made in the mining industry so that more companies do that, so that investors can in turn get confidence that projects do have a chance of being delivered 
on time, on budget. That's my rant for this morning. I feel pretty passionate about that. Yeah. What would you, um, would, what would your, I wouldn't say necessarily competitors, but other colleagues in the industry, other peers in the industry, um, what have they said about that particular approach around the CapEx? I found in speaking, we've done a lot of marketing um, and had a lot of discussions with our analyst community. I found in speaking with many of them, the more sophisticated the investor, uh, the more appreciation there was for the realism of the CapEx, right? So our institutional investors who have a lot of uh, sophistication and experience in mining, when we told them the number, they sort of said, yeah, that sounds about right to me. And it was um, people who maybe aren't as experienced in mining, don't really know what it actually costs, don't really know about the pressures that the industry is facing on inflation and supply chain that were a little bit surprised by it. And so I found a correlation um, between those two things during the many, many discussions we've had post Media Luna. Um, with Media Luna now approved, um, what do you see as the key priorities for uh, Torex this year um, and over the coming next few years? Yeah, I put them in a couple of buckets. Uh, number one, at Aliment Wahez, ELG on the north side of the river, we need to keep doing what we're doing and find a way to do it for longer, right? And so we've got a long history, a long history, three years of optimizing that operation and doing it safely. Here's where I want to talk a little bit about safety. Um, our record there is really extraordinary. A couple of years ago, we hit 10 million hours lost time injury free. Then we had two contractor lost time injuries, too, too many for sure. But we're now tracking again above eight and a half million hours lost time injury free. Our lost time injury frequency is zero. And at the same time, we're crushing production and costs, just delivering on guidance. Last year, we had a record year at 468,000 ounces. So that team there on the north side of the river needs to just keep doing what they're doing. Find me more. I now have material in the pits out to the end of 2024. I now have reserve in the underground out to 2027. How do we push that? How do I get more? How do I get more out of the north side of the river? So that's one bucket. The next bucket is certainly growth through the development of Media Luna, right? I talked about adding 3.3 million ounces. The project team has a real challenge ahead of them to execute that project on budget, on schedule, and deliver on our commitments to market. So that's absolutely required. Underpinning those two is a pretty healthy exploration program. I think I said already that the property is 75% unexplored. We have $39 million allocated to the drill bit this year on both the north side and the south side of the river. I want more on the north side. And I want to fill the mill on the south side and extend mine life out beyond 2033. So those are what I would describe as the Morelos priorities. And then at the corporate office, our attention shifts to growth through M&A. Now that I'm comfortable that we have a flagship asset that's going to generate healthy cash flow returns for the foreseeable future once we land Media Luna, how do we get out from under this single asset and get out moniker? How do we do it responsibly? Who are the right partners for us? Where are synergies available? Where can the Torex team bring something that is actually going to optimize and maximize a bigger, better company? I'm not looking for growth for growth's sake. We're not about that. 
I'm looking to become a bigger, better, stronger company with geographic diversification that gives our investors some comfort that if something were to happen in Mexico, we have cash flow from other operations. And so more of the same out of ELG, build out Media Luna, grow through M&A, add money in the drill bit, explore, make a lot of money, return value for our investors. Those are the priorities. And I've got the right team to do it. Yeah. Uh, can you, I mean, can you share any thoughts around M&A, um, whether that's sort of um, what, what you look for maybe in a joint venture partner or I suppose juris, jurisdictions that you would consider and maybe not consider? Um, just wonder if you can share any thoughts around that. Yeah, I'll share two thoughts about it without getting into too much detail. When I think about M&A as the CEO, I think about it first through an operator's hat or a miner's hat, less so a banker's hat. Yeah, the numbers have to make sense and all of that. But when I close my eyes, I need to be able to imagine running that company, right? And because we're a small team, that sort of limits us jurisdictionally to running in Canada, the United States or Mexico, somewhere maybe in Latin America, anything much further afield than that, Australia, Papua New Guinea, those sorts of places becomes... Um, not synergistic, at least from my perspective. So um, think about the North-South Corridor, think about gold, copper, think about um, something that we could uh, marry up with that would deliver um, cash flow and value to our investors, that is value accretive. The other thought I would share on M&A is that because of our plan at Morello's, because of the strength of that plan, we don't need to get backed into a transaction. We don't have to do anything here. Right? We can be patient, we can be prudent, we can be opportunistic and do MA, do the right deal at the right time. Right. So nobody's got MA fever here. We'll grow when it's right and appropriate, um, deliver synergies and um, create a company here that makes sense. That's a little bit bigger. Goal line for me is to be relevant. And I think to be relevant, you need to be in that million, million and a half ounce range. Um, I think consolidation will happen in the space over the next year, two years, has to, has to. Uh, and so I think Trax is going to be a part of that. Um, obviously, you mentioned about the, the good safety record and characteristics um, with your corporate culture as a key strategic differentiator. Um, can you provide some uh, specifics about what makes Torex different uh, in regards to this? And I suppose uh, amongst other competitors, uh, in your yeah. space? Yeah, that's a hard question. You know, Rob, our corporate culture, I would describe it as our secret sauce, right? And it is it is so easily for me, hands down, what distinguishes Torex from the field and enables the results we have. And so difficult for me to wrap words around, right? It's hard to explain. It just is. And so, so I'm going to give it a try. Um, the reason I think culture is important is because mining is complicated. I mean, it used to be drill, blast, muck, put your product to market. That's 20 years ago mining. Now there are so many externalities associated with mining. You have to deal with your host communities, with all three levels of government, indigenous partners, permitting. There are such an external environment that needs to be dealt with and dealt with responsibly that you need a culture where people are moving in the same direction. You can't have people working siloed because all of those things are interconnected. So culture is important. It's especially important for someone like Torex because we're working in a, I would describe it as a geopolitically complex social structure in Guerrero, Mexico. A lot of poverty, 
um, a lot of presence of the illicit economy, complex government structures, complex permitting structures. And so culture is very important. It started for us, Rob, with picking a model. For us, it's called systems leadership. There are whole books written about this, but at its core, it's a series of interconnected models that when stitched together and stitched together appropriately, it leads to behaviors, systems, and symbols that are used to deliver the desired culture. And how we talk about that desired culture at Torex is every employee shows up to work every day, willingly giving the best they've got, right? Doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. Doesn't mean there won't be failures, but you willingly give me your best every day, every time I have an interaction with you. And so through the implementation over time of systems leadership and creating those robust systems and complemented with our foundational model called the values continuum. Some companies, executives get in a room a couple of times over five years, like every second year or so, and they write and rewrite values. Torex values are six strong, are on a continuum. An example is fair. You can be on the left side of the continuum, unfair, or fair, and then on the right side of the continuum, unfair. And so it's the job of leaders to operate on the left-hand side of the values continuum to make sure that people experience Torex as high value, high values driven. Right. And so that's very important. But I think the other things that really complement, particularly our safety culture, getting the right leaders in the right roles. This has taken a lot of work. We've made a lot of changes at that manager and above level. People need to believe what I believe about safety. They need to believe that you don't need to hurt anybody to produce an ounce of gold. If you don't believe that, you're not the right fit for Torex. So getting the right leaders in the right roles having a clear set of rules that are really enforced. And importantly, Rob, people need to know why the rules are in place. When we institute rules, we explain to people, COVID was a great example. We instituted layers and layers and layers of protection and rules around that. We educated our workforce on why those rules were in place. And then this part sometimes gets an eye roll, but I'm going to say it anyways. We do a lot of work in safety culture, connecting the head with the heart, right? I believe to access employees, to get them working logically, to get them complying with rules, to get them working inside systems, your access point is the heart. There's this expression that people don't care what you know unless they know you care. I believe that firmly. That's how we lead at Torex. And so I would say a combination of systems leadership, right leaders in the right roles, clear set of rules and systems and boundaries around those, and doing a lot of work to access people's heart, giving them a reason to work safely. In our case, it's centered around family. Um, that has created a corporate culture um, that, and it's not just about having a great place to work. It's about being an employer of choice, being a place where we have hundreds of applicants for roles in our organization. And I say our team willingly achieves what is thought to be impossible. Sometimes even myself, I sit up in my office and say, God, we had no business accomplishing that, yet somehow um, the team just crushes it and pulls it off. So pretty special place to be. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like an employee of choice. Uh, like you said, you're getting multiple applicants for, for roles. And I suppose word spreads around how well, again, like you said, the culture but it, I mean, no matter what level you're at, um, 
if you have a, I suppose, uh, inclusive type of team and, and company where everyone's on the same path, um, then everyone's going to enjoy that journey. Um, and I suppose that word gets around to others who then want to come and work for you. Agreed. I mean, it's a really different place. There are some mining companies that I would say still subscribe to sort of the triangle, right? I'm fairly autocratic, command and control, where the leaders at the top of the house are making the decisions, which is interesting to me because at the top of the house, you have all of the authority, but not necessarily all of the information. In fact, most of the time, you don't have all of the information. Whereas at Torix, I would describe it as more collaborative, certainly. And the leadership style of most of our leaders, myself included, is centered around trust and inspire, right? I don't hire the best people in the business and then tell them what to do. I hire the best people in the business, get really focused and clear on a strategy, provide them with boundary conditions and say, you deliver these results inside these parameters, come back to me when you need help, right? And so that is how our executive team operates. It's a highly highly trusting environment. Um, And we often say, I mean, we have each other's backs. It doesn't mean that there aren't failures. It means that when there are failures, they get presenced immediately. This was a mess up. This was an epic fail. Let's work together to try and fix it and drive on. And so um, I'm so proud of what we've built here and what we continue to build. Um, You're obviously a strong advocate of increasing diversity in the mining industry. Um, What do you think it would take to attract more diverse workforce uh, to the mining industry? Uh, A lot of work (laughs) by men and women uh, together, I would say. And so so it's no secret, Rob, that mining suffers from a glaring lack of gender diversity at all levels of most mining organizations. There are dozens and dozens of reasons for that. Torx is a little bit separated from the field on this. At my executive team level, we have uh, 43% women. At the board level, 44% women. At our operations, we're still fairly low, 16% women at the operations. And here's how I think about gender diversity, is that there's a lot of push towards metrics and quotas for hiring women and placing women. That's an approach. Um, My view of the world on that is that The the paradox of decades of sexism in the mining industry has naturally elevated the quality of female leadership. Think about that, right? You just had to be a little bit better to get where you were going. I don't think that the solution to achieving gender diversity lies in lowering the bar for female leaders. I think it's keeping the bar really high. The trick is getting the men to jump over it too right? Which levels the playing field. So what needs to happen? I do think there are a lot of companies that still hire from the club. That has to stop. That has to stop. I'm in this business of of men, predominantly white male engineers between the ages of 45 and 65, hiring their friends has to stop. There has to be disciplined hiring processes so that women have the opportunity to get in the door. I think companies need to do something like what Torex does and create a pipeline of female employees at low levels of the organization and not just in the functions, not just in finance and HR and those places, but in the operations, roles that touch the metal and the money. Like I look at myself as a lawyer making the transition to operations when I was 
sort of mid-career. That was brutal. I mean, I wish I had had, I wish I had had the experience in operations at the lower level to be a supervisor of a crew in an underground mine. That experience is invaluable. So that's, I think, where the work is, creating the pipeline, plugging the pipeline so that we don't lose women during the times when they're starting a family, during the times when uh, there's different social pressures on them. So keeping them engaged by mentorship, sponsorship, promotion programs, all of that. And then I think women have a role to play in this too. There are plenty of studies that say that women self-select out. We just do, right? And so if there is a job that has 10 criteria, a man has two or three of them, he's in, right? He's going to apply. If a woman has nine, but not 10, she won't apply. And whenever I have the opportunity to speak to young women and give them counsel on this, I always say to them, do not self-select out. Manage your career in the rule of thirds. A third of it, as you're thinking about the next job, a third of it should be something you're expert in. You need to know stuff to be successful in a role. A third of it should be something that you need to study up on, right? Maybe I don't know this degree of what's required by the job, but I can study up on that quite quickly and learn it and become proficient. A third of it, and this is the important third, should be absolute white knuckle terror. You should be terrified as you step into that next new role. It should feel too big for you. And when you hit that third, a third, a third, you know that as you're transitioning and managing your career, you're taking steps forward in your career and can achieve new goals, learn new things, develop in new ways. And so it's a combination of those things, Rob, that I think is actually going to attract more women to the industry, develop them in the way that they need to be developed and keep them here. Uh, And it's important. If you believe, as I do, that there's going to be a war for talent over the next 20 years in this industry, as many people retire and move on, we're going to need to tap into different demographics and women are going to be one of them. Yeah. And obviously continue on uh, in, sorry, on diversity. And we, before we were speaking offline, uh, before we started recording this, um, do you think there is more women coming into the, the mining industry? Um, and obviously we were speaking off air about um, women coming into operations at the lower level because obviously what we were saying is there isn't necessarily a difference between a man and woman coming in as an operator if they've never been in the industry before because they're starting off at a level playing field do you feel there's more women coming into the industry at that level i don't i don't think so yet i don't think the statistics bear that out yet but we need to be active about normalizing young women making the choice to go into trades, into electrical, into welding, into millwright programs, um, and making that okay for young women to make that choice outside of high school, right? Um, in the in the town where I'm from, there's this program with a college called Jill of All Trades. It's a playoff on Jack of All Trades. Um, which specifically targets, educates young women about careers in those trades, maybe something that they haven't thought about. More needs to be done like that to normalize that choice for women to come into the mining industry. And then, as I say, when you get there, when you have women in the pipeline, you got to handle 
closing the leaks of the pipeline through career development, making sure that's all sealed up nicely so the women who come actually stay and they can see themselves progressing through to a career like mine or like one of the many women on my executive team or one of the many women who are in the manager position at site in Mexico for us. Um, Mexico is obviously regarded, regarded as a tough jurisdiction for mining companies, um, given the current regulatory environment. How has Torex managed to navigate successfully uh, in that environment? Yeah, I, I would describe uh, Mexico as, as an interesting and sometimes challenging jurisdiction in which to operate. I mean, and Rob, quite frankly, there is really no jurisdiction in the world that comes with uh Easy, easy street only, right? Each of them has their own challenges. On the positive side, I would say uh, Mexico has an abundance of natural resources. I look at our exploration program in the Guerrero Gold Belt, second to none in the world. And there is a labor force there and a workforce there that is hardworking and proud and wants to work safely. And there's an abundance of them. And so I think those are two really good things, right? You got the rocks and you got the people, very important. I think the challenges sometimes come with the administration, the current administration, you know, philosophically, I would say there are commonalities between the views of the current administration and Tarek's Gold, right? They don't want irresponsible environmental issues and they don't, they want environmentally responsible mining. Good. I agree with that. They want to eradicate poverty. Good. I mean, we're doing our fair share on that in, in Morelos. And I would also say that, and I say this every time I get up in front of them, uncertainty is the enemy of investment. And so the more you can bring certainty and predictability to policy decisions around tax, economy, energy, security, all of those things that deeply impact the mining industry, the more you can work with the industry and bring certainty the better it is for everybody, the better it is for uh, mining in the country, the better it is for economic growth in the country, particularly post-COVID. And um, that will encourage the responsible operators to make investment in the country and feed in off of itself. And so the way Torx manages that is like we do with everybody else, that values continuum I talked about. We reach out, we have relationships, we work constructively with regulators and politicians at all levels and uh, have created a relationship of mutual trust. I would describe it that way. Uh, and so challenging, but not insurmountable is how I would describe operating in Mexico. And we've demonstrated to the world that we can do it, we can do it well, and we can make a lot of money there. Yes, certainly. Um, I've got two more questions. Um, as I obviously previously mentioned, you've been in the, the CEO role now for two years. Um, as you reflect in the last of those uh, obviously last two years. Um, what stands out for you in that role? Um, I suppose what makes you most proud? I, so I, so much has happened in the last two years. And and I would say some people might think that I'm most proud of record production or hitting guidance three years in a row. I, yeah, that's important. But someday when I'm sitting on a rocking chair, that's not what I'll remember. That's not what I'll remember. And I would say um, apart from surviving and thriving during COVID, which has been remarkable in and of itself, three things come to mind for me as something I'm most proud of. One is uh, the team that we have assembled. Uh, my recruiting, uh, the young lady who does recruiting for me, when I sit and explain to her um, the role I have and the kind of person I want in the role, and she always says to me, 
so you want another unicorn? And I said, yes, that is what we hire here, unicorns. And so um, the team that we've assembled is second to none. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of that has eluded me to this point in my career is I've always worked with high performance individuals, right? I, I, it's not uncommon in the mining industry, especially in a camp where I was working, lots of talented people. I've never been able to stitch that together to create a high performance team in the way that I imagine that will deliver results. And so not only do I have these people who are capable and have expertise and curious and have courage and character and all of that, we've been able to create an environment that unleashes that so that that gets stitched together to routinely achieve the impossible. And that was that culture that we talk about. So I'm so proud of that. I'm proud of the safety results we've achieved. I mean, um, coming from and doing it in a place like Guerrero, Mexico, where people are coming from a background of subsistence farming. People are coming from a background of not wearing PPE, of not wearing seatbelts, of not being safety-minded or risk-minded. So the fact that we've been able to do that and build a safety culture from the ground up with very serious rules and systems that people are glad to adhere to, that's something that I will never, ever forget. And I also, I mean, we're not quite there yet, but for me, it's already happened. The idea of bringing Media Luna online and creating generational change for a few thousand people. I mean, not just change for three years or five years or eight years while the mine is there, but change for 20 years or 30 years where parents who 10 years ago would not have had a vision for their child, right? No opportunities really for education, no opportunities really for meaningful employment. Now have chances and opportunities that they would never have had otherwise. I can tell you, Rob, on the hardest days when I put in 16, 18 hours and it just all feels like too much, that is what gets me up taking a shower and doing it all again the next morning is this gift I've been given to make generational change. I mean, who gets to do that? Who gets who gets the privilege of doing that? Uh, and me and my team get to. And, and I have to say, the team that I've assembled, um, particularly at the executive level over the last two years, they subscribe to that in the same way that I do. These people, we have no business hiring these people. These people come from major organizations that could get paid twice the money they do at Torex. Um, and they come because they believe in the vision and they believe in the purpose of the company that we will transform finite mineral resources into lasting prosperity and make change in the lives of the people that we touch. So um, to say that I'm proud of that would be an understatement. And um, the goal for us is to do that more and in different places over the next 10 years. So I'm pretty jacked about having the um, privilege to do that. That's really good to hear. Um, and lastly, um, just wondering if you had any final thoughts um, on, I suppose, the company, uh, the future, um, and and I suppose the, the industry, where do you see the industry going and heading yeah. towards? Yeah, I there has been much talk about climate change and making the transition to a renewable energy economy, particularly given 
um, sources of metal and sources of energy that I think inevitably um, through Russia and Ukraine will come offline over the coming years. Uh, and so I, mining needs to happen. My, we need to find the copper. We need to find the lithium. We need to find the deposits that will responsibly support that energy transition over the next couple of decades. So this is not a sunset industry, in my view. It's an industry that's just um, continuing to gain momentum and find its place on the world stage. So I think that's important. And Torx is going to be a big part of that. I mean, I couldn't be more optimistic about our future and more confident in the capability of the team that we've assembled to deliver on our commitments and uh, to grow this company in a way that we can be proud of. When I look back over my shoulder 10 years from now, I'm going to say, holy man, what a ride that was. And look what we did. Right. So exciting times ahead for us. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, and really appreciate you uh, coming on uh, as a guest again uh, and give us an update um, over the last 18 months. And it seems you've gone through a big journey and, and done very successful. Um, so I wish you uh, wish you all well in the future. Um, and obviously more than welcome to come on uh, again next year and uh, give us an update. All right. Well, um, thanks for having me, Rob. It's been a real pleasure. It's been fun this morning. And my kids yeah. and dog have been quiet. So that's yeah, good. Yeah, which is, yeah. Which is good. I, I was expecting them to uh, come into, uh, come into view. <laughs> come into the frame. Yeah, certainly. Um, if our audience wants to reach out to you, um, if they've got any questions, um, I'm wondering if you can how, how they do that. And obviously your social media links as well. Yeah, sure. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, reach out on our website, and and we're always open to questions. One of the things about Torex is that we're a pretty transparent shop, pretty accessible shop. Um, so get onto our website, look for our contact information, mine or my VP of IR, Dan Rollins, or my communications VP, Angie Robson. Reach out to any one of us. We're always happy to chat. Yeah, no worries. Um, we'll put those in the show notes accompany this uh, podcast and uh, on, on the YouTube channel as well. So, Jody, really appreciate your time. Wish you all well for uh, the coming years. And um, those that are listening, hope you enjoyed that episode. There's a lot to take away from from there. Um, obviously, Jody gave a lot of uh, content, a lot of things to to think about in your own in your own roles and in your own jobs. Um, and even if you're in a senior position where you're where you're running um, a division. Um, or even in senior management and executive where you're running a company. A lot of things that Jodie has said um, and maybe should take on board and um, look at your own organisations to obviously improve. And as as any business, we look to improve uh, day by day. So um, hope you enjoy listening. Appreciate if you can share this episode um, to all those others in the industry that you know, uh, colleagues, former colleagues, former managers, etc. cetera, um, so we can get the uh, word out more and, um, create, uh, provide obviously this free content to um, all four corners of the world and to everyone within the mining industry so until next time happy mining thank you for listening remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review until next time happy mining helping each other to improve the mining industry